We've been taking these weeks prior to Christmas to spend time in Matthew chapters 1 and 2 and allow Matthew to help give us the and remind us of the significance of Christmas, the significance of Jesus' birth and entrance into the world. We saw last week in chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, the genealogy of Jesus, Jesus' ancestors. And we noted two significant uh, truths there that uh, Matthew shows us that David is both a descendant of Abraham and a descendant of David. And the reason why Matthew goes all the way back to Abraham and David is to show us that Jesus is the fulfillment of both the promises to Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant that we found that we find in Genesis 12 verses 1 through 3, repeated in Genesis 15, repeated in Genesis 17 and Genesis 22. And then also the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel 7. So Jesus in fulfilling the Abrahamic covenant is our hope as non-Israelites, as Gentiles. Because in those promises to Abraham, God said to Abram, you leave your father's house, go to the land which I will show you. And one of the things that God tells Abraham is that through his seed, all the nations of the earth, all the families of the earth would experience blessing. And we see that Jesus Christ is the ultimate fulfillment of that promise that through Jesus Christ, men and women and boys and girls from every tribe and tongue and nation of throughout the earth are brought into God's kingdom through faith in the person of Jesus Christ. We also see Jesus as the fulfillment to the promises to David in 2 Samuel 7, where God told David that one of his descendants will sit on David's throne forever and ever. That all of those who uh, have faith in the Messiah, this anointed one, this promised son of David, will be part of that kingdom. That kingdom over which this descendant of David will reign. That's our future. And as those who put our faith in Jesus, we too are part of those kingdom promises that God made to David regarding his descendant. This one that 2 Samuel 7 says will be considered a son of God. And so right from the very beginning, Matthew chapter 1 verse 1, Matthew is showing that Jesus is the Messiah, this anointed one, this son of David, this son of Abraham, who will sit on David's throne, through whom all the nations, all the families of the earth can experience blessing. 
It's interesting in that genealogical record, as we saw last week, it followed a very similar pattern that so-and-so was the father of so-and-so, and that person was the father of this person. And it follows that all the way down until we get to verse 16. And we come to verse 16, there's something very different. Verse 16 said, Jacob was the father of Joseph. Yeah, that's the similar pattern. And then it says, the husband of Mary by whom Jesus was born. So instead of talking about the fact that Jesus was fathered by such a man, such and such man, it tells us that he was born by Mary. It goes around saying that Joseph was Jesus' dad. And in verse 16, we find a little bit of a hint, a foreshadowing of verses 18 through 25 that are going to tell us about a miracle birth, a virgin birth, a virgin birth that is so significant because it shows us how God could become a man. A miracle birth that's so significant because it shows us how that God-man, that one born, could be without sin. A miracle birth that's so significant that it tells us how a baby could save us from our sin. And one of the things that we'll see in verses 18 through 25 today... Is that this miraculous birth of Jesus, as we find in Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25, recorded for us. This miraculous birth of Jesus demands a response. Some will say, yes, I believe that. Some will say, no way. Can't be true. And others will try to put it off. But you can't put off the reality of what is said here in Matthew 1 about Jesus' miraculous birth. It demands a response. I'm going to read these verses out loud. You can follow along in your copy of the text. Matthew 1, starting the read of verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David... Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who's been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. 
And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. Many of you in this room, probably not all, but many of you have at least started to save for retirement. Now, for those of you who are quite young, you think, why would I do something like that? But for those of us who have lived a little bit longer, we said, I better be setting some money aside. And my wife, Barbara, and I started when we were really young in our marriage. We started saving for retirement when we had such little money that all we thought we could do was put aside $25 a month. And the bad thing was the mutual fund that we tried to put money into wouldn't accept a a, a contribution that small. So we had to save it in a little envelope and once every quarter we put $75 into a mutual fund. But the good thing is when you start really young it has time to build up. And so now I'm able to actually have a guy help me figure out how I should save for retirement. And once in a while, I hear from my guy. And he will send me an email and say, Steve, I think you should do this. Or Steve, I think you should do that. One thing is true. That email from my guy demands a response. I either have to email him back and say yes, or email him back and say no. But if I decide, oh, I'm just going to put this off for a while, I'm not going to respond. I don't really want to think about that today. I am responding. Because if I choose to put it off, I'm still saying no. And the truths that we're going to look at today about this miracle birth of Jesus demand a response. Either a response of yes or a response of no. But often people say, I just don't want to think about that kind of stuff at this stage of life. I I don't really want to. It's just some of that's a little depressing. I just want to put that off. I want to put that in the back of my mind. To put it off is the same thing as right now saying no. So we want to look at this very important passage. This passage that is actually central to the Christian faith. And see what it teaches us. About what we're going to celebrate in just a few weeks. The birth of Jesus. We're going to see in verses 18 through 23. That the virgin birth of Jesus is actually God stepping down. The virgin birth of Jesus is God stepping down. So that he could save people from their sin. That's what it is. It's God stepping down to us. Notice with me 
again, verse 16. In the genealogy of Jesus, that change of how all the rest of the births are recorded, it's a hint to verses 18 and following. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who's called the Messiah. And we come then to verse 18, and and Matthew is going to flesh this out for us. What was he hinting at? Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Betrothed to Joseph. We don't have anything today that would be the equivalent of being betrothed back in Jesus' day. In the ancient Near East, when betrothal took place, a young man and woman would be considered to be married. Even though that marriage had not yet been consummated. That it was an engagement, but a formal engagement. Meaning the only way out of betrothal was either a certificate of divorce or one of the parties passing away. That's the only way out of being betrothed. It was considered step one of marriage. They were called husband and wife. Here it tells us Mary was betrothed to Joseph, but before they had come together, which is uh, a euphemism to talk about physical intimacy, before they had had experienced physical intimacy, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Now Joseph didn't know about the part by the Holy Spirit. He just finds out that his betrothed is pregnant. And he's faced with a choice. He could publicly disgrace her. And according to Deuteronomy chapter 22. Proclaim her to be unfaithful with the punishment of stoning. By the time we get to Jesus' day, that was very rare. But it was an option that Joseph could have taken. But what Joseph decides to do is to divorce her. It tells us in verse 19, And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. Now the New American Standard chooses to translate this particular Greek word, send her away. It's actually the word for divorce. I'm not sure why the New American Standard chose to use to translate the word send her away. But if you look at Matthew chapter 5 verse 31 And Matthew chapter 19 verse 9, the same exact word is used in both of those passages translated divorce. 
what Joseph decided to do when he found out that Mary was with child was to divorce her, to issue a certificate of divorce quietly. He cared for her deeply. He didn't want to put her out for public shame, but that was his plan. But, verse 20, when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, notice what it says, son of David. Even here, that theme of Joseph being a son of David, therefore Jesus is a son of David, ties all the way through the book of Matthew, a continual reminder, this one This baby is the Messiah. It's the one that was promised in 2 Samuel 7. He's the one that Israel has been waiting for. This one, Joseph, son of David. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Joseph. Don't get freaked out. There's a miracle taking place here. Mary's actually been faithful to you. This little one that's within her, it's a miraculous birth, a miraculous conception. God has done a work. Go ahead and take her as your wife. In fact, the angel goes on in verse 21 and says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Jesus is the Greek equivalent to the Hebrew word Joshua, which means the Lord saves. Why would they name him Jesus? For, verse 21, he will save his people from their sins. You see Matthew says. This is the purpose. This is the purpose of this miraculous birth. That Jesus. This one that will be born to you Joseph. He's going to bring salvation. He's going to save. His people. From their sins. Not only encompassing Israel. But as we see. The scriptures unfold all people in fulfillment of that promise clear back to Genesis 12. All people can experience blessing through the seed of Abraham, the son of David, through faith. In fact, the angel goes on and tells Joseph this is actually a fulfillment Of Old Testament prophecy. And he quotes from the book of Isaiah. Chapter 7 verse 14. All this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel. Which translates. Which translated means God with us. Joseph. This is a miracle. This is God stepping down. This is this little baby that's inside of your betrothed. It's God. 
He's the son of David. He's the one that 2 Samuel 7 labels that will be one considered a son of God. This is God with us. This is the Messiah. Joseph, this is a miracle birth. When I was at the end of my junior year of high school, I realized I got to come up with some money. Because my parents informed me they had no money to help me with college. If if college was going to get paid for, I was going to have to come up with the money. It was just, it was a different era then. College was, in my mind, still very expensive, but maybe not as expensive as now, but it was up to me. So I bought my 1974 Dodge pickup. Three-speed on the column, electric diesel horn. It was a real chick magnet. And I had my Dodge pickup, and I took a job in Omaha. We lived out in the country on the east side of Council Bluffs, Iowa, out on Highway 191 between Council Bluffs and Underwood, where I had my honeybee business. But I took a job in Omaha for the summer at a big warehouse, six-story high warehouse. There's an embassy suites on the spot now. Built in the 1800s, this place was so old that they had pictures on the walls of large teams of mules that used to, they used to pull the elevators up and down. And nothing had changed except the mules. It was still that old. My job was to unload train cars and semis on the docks. I worked there that whole summer and then they said, you know, we'd like you to stay. And I said, well, I need the money. So I just went to high school in the morning and then I drove my 1974 Dodge pickup with three speed on the column to Omaha every day and worked in the afternoons, came home and just did that every day. In fact, I kept that job way into college, working the docks. It was hard because this place was so old, they had no forklifts. So everything was done by hand with pallet jacks, like a hand jack. Everything was done by hand. And often when these train cars would come in, it would be my job to unload these 100-pound rolls of wire and boxes of nails and steel posts. We did it all by hand. It was hard work. Some of the hardest money I ever earned. And in Omaha... In August, inside of a train car, it's not pleasant. Their humidity is higher over there. It's hot. It's gross. It's tough work. Now, in this old building, this six-story high building, was one little tiny office for the, the manager of the warehouse named Ron. Ron had an air conditioner. There was also on the second floor of the building, the whole second lot of the second floor was office. And that, of course, that was all air conditioned. But us guys that did the work, it was just hot. And you're there in a summer day and you're inside of this train car and the sun's beating down on it. And our boss, Ron, 
would be in his air-conditioned office. He always wore a tie. Not sure what he did, but I'm sure it was manager-type stuff. And he'd be there hard at work. Once in a while, when Ron would realize that we were under a deadline and we're having to work really hard, sometimes we couldn't take a break, we didn't have time to take lunch because maybe that car was going to get taken away or there's another train car coming in. Ron would actually leave his office. He would come down to the docks. He would take off his tie. He would step into that train car and he'd help me unload wire. I love that guy. I couldn't believe he would do that for me. That he would leave his air-conditioned office And come down with us. Dirty, stinky guys. It wasn't pleasant. Why would he do that for us? And you know what? Jesus Christ did a lot more than leave an air-conditioned office to come to a train car. He left the very throne room of heaven. With all the majesty of God. To step down. Into our grime. Into our setting. Where we lived. That's what he did. And that step. That Jesus did. For you. And for me. Demands. A response. You remember verse 21. Says you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. That's not popular today. People don't want to admit that they need saving. I mean, seriously, what is sin? If I think it's right for me, who are you to say that something's wrong? Who are you to say that there's such a thing as sin? It's not popular. In fact, it's interesting at Christmas time here, we are busy about putting up the trappings of Christmas, making our homes look Christmassy. Maybe our trees or our mailbox look Christmassy. But people spend the whole year putting the trappings on their lives, making themselves look, quote unquote, good. I'm a good person. Look what I've done. I volunteered with these children. I've, I've given money to this or that. I've been a good dad. I've been a good husband. I'm a good person. I've put on all these trappings of goodness. But all of that trapping that people do for their lives actually detracts from truth. Because what the truth says, what the Bible says, is that Jesus had to come. Otherwise, we'd be stuck in our sin. 
You know, there's a verse in John chapter 3, verse 36, that says this. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. That's hard. That's not pleasant. We don't want to think about God's wrath. You see, the Bible's clear that God is righteous. He is the standard of what's right and wrong. He's absolute holiness. There's no sin in him at all. And because he is the standard of what is right, and because he is our creator, he has the right to demand of his creation that we honor him with our lives. But the Bible also tells us that none of us do that. We all sin. We all think things and do things and act out things that are contrary to God's very character and what he tells us in his, in the Bible is right and wrong. And because he is the standard of right, because he is absolute holiness, there's no impurity in him at all, he cannot overlook our sin. It violates his very character. Our sin demands his wrath because of his holy character. And each and every one of us are under the wrath of God. But he's also a God of love. And he loves us so much that he sent the second person of the Trinity, the Son... As an answer to the promises he made to Abraham and David to come to earth. And to actually be born of a virgin. So that he could be the God man. Do you, do we realize that if Jesus had not become a man, he could not have died. God can't die. And so he had to somehow Become a man so that he could die as our substitute. That's the miracle birth that's being described here. That Jesus left the throne room of heaven. And was born of a virgin by a miraculous work of God. So that he could be the God man. Bible teachers teach us that he's 100% God, 100% man. He's the God man. Why did he do it? Matthew tells us. Verse 21. For he will save his people from their sins. And we need saving. You know at the end of our Bibles in Revelation chapter 20 verse 15. Some really sad verses about people. Who look to the person of Jesus and say, no, I don't believe in him. Or say, uh, I don't want to think about that right now. Because 
in putting off a decision to believe in Jesus is the same thing as deciding no. And it tells us in Revelation chapter 20 verse 15 that all those who have said no to Jesus are going to be end up cast into a place called the lake of fire. The New Testament calls it hell. Anyone's name was not found written in the book of life. He was thrown into the lake of fire. So we're faced with a choice. Matthew tells us the true significance of what we celebrate. That this is not just a a nice story about God entering the world so that he could bring peace and love to all mankind. This is a story of God's wrath needing to be satisfied. And the only way it could be satisfied is by the depths of his love. He took his only son to be born of a virgin so that he could be a substitute for our sin and take all of the father's wrath upon himself. That's the story. And that demands a response. Am I going to say yes? I believe that Jesus is God. Who lived a sinless life. Who came so that he could die for me. And when he died for my sin. Rose again from the dead. Proving that he's God. Or am I going to say No, don't believe it. You know, it's interesting as we come to verses 24 and 25, we see that Joseph had faith. Joseph actually believed this message about Jesus. Look with me at verse 24. Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife. But kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. You know how much faith that would have taken on Joseph's part? Try to put yourself in Joseph's shoes for a little while. You're engaged. Betrothed. And your fiance comes and says, hey, I got to tell you something. Joseph, I'm pregnant. And then an angel comes and talks with you. And that hasn't happened before. And the angel says, uh, Joseph, chill out. She has been faithful. She's just pregnant by a miracle. And Joseph's saying, well, has that ever happened before? Yeah, Right. Think about the scorn Joseph would have gotten at work or with his buddies. Joseph, are you crazy? The girl is going to have a baby, man. Why are you going to still marry her? Are you nuts? Think about Joseph's mom and dad. Joseph, we've raised you all these years. We had such dreams for you. We had a girl all picked out for you. And now you're going to go and do something like this? Are you crazy? You're dashing all our dreams to death. Are you nuts? What are you thinking, Joseph? And yet, Joseph believed. 
He believed that that little one inside of Mary was the God-man, the Messiah, the son of David. He believed when the angel said to him that Mary had been faithful. He exercised faith. Early in my pastoral ministry, uh, when I first became a pastor, we lived in a small town right next door to a college. And I did a lot of college ministry. I was started out being chaplain for some of the athletic teams, for the football team and the basketball team. I would come and do devotionals with the teams before games. Then I became a coach, an assistant coach for the basketball team. I actually traveled with the team around the state of North Dakota and up into Canada and Minnesota. And I did a lot of Bible studies. Sometimes the dorms would just, kids in the dorms would say, hey, would you come do a Bible study with us? And one winter, I say that kind of loosely because pretty much the entire school year in North Dakota is winter. Um, one winter, one of the girls' dorms asked me to come do a Bible study with them. And this is what they wanted to study. We just have one question. How can a person get saved? I said, well, I'll think about it for a little while. No, I said, yes, I'll come do a Bible study with you. We'll talk about how to get saved. So I did several weeks with these girls. And we, I don't know, if I remember right, we had about maybe 15 girls in a room talking about how to get saved. And I was noticing in one of the evening sessions, one of the girls was looking really irritated. And she kind of just blurted out and says, it sounds to me that what you're saying is, unless I believe in Jesus, I can't go to heaven. And I said, yes, that's right. That's what I'm saying. And she got mad and never came back. You know what? This message about Jesus is a message that is going to have a response. It demands a response. We either say yes to it, or like this college girl, we say no to it. But if we say, I just don't want to think about God's wrath right now, that's kind of a bummer. Christmas time, I don't want to think about that kind of stuff. I just want to put that off till I'm older, till I'm more mature. To put it off is the same thing as to say no. You see, Joseph laid his life on the line. Think about the ridicule that guy went through. Sometimes people say, I, if I do this Jesus thing, if I actually put my faith in Jesus, my parents aren't going to like it. My coworkers, my fellow students, they're going to make fun of me. I don't know if I want to do this or not. Think about what Joseph went through. Joseph laid it all on the line and said, I am going to believe, I believe that this Jesus is God stepping down. You know, there's an interesting verse in the book of John, John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says this, I am the way and the truth 
and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I have, I have a buddy that I talk with about Jesus a lot. And one day he said to me, um, you know, I just can't, I don't like this exclusivity that this whole idea that Jesus is the only way. Not popular. But it's what Jesus says. And he's God. And when he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but through me. Doesn't make any difference what I think about it. That's what he says. You see, all of us start out underneath God's wrath because we're all sinners. And God's over there, holy and righteous, and all that he can do because of his character is punish us for our sin. Except he could pour out his punishment on a substitute. And that's what Jesus did. He became our bridge to God. No one comes to the Father but through me. And when he died on that cross, he made it possible for all of us to have a pathway to God through faith. And if you're here today and you've never done that, it's not hard. It's simply exercising trust. It's putting faith in someone. It's coming, you could even just in the quietness of your heart, just talk to God and say, God, I know I'm a sinner and I can't fix it. And I want to today put my trust in Jesus. I believe that I need a savior. I know I'm under God's wrath, under your wrath. And right now, I'm saying that I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that he is God. I believe that he came to earth so that he could die for me. And I believe that he rose again from the dead. And I'm putting my trust in him today. And when we do that, when we transfer the dependence of our life from myself, thinking, hey, I can put on the trappings of a good person and impress God. And instead put our dependence on the person of Jesus Christ. When we do that, then Jesus' payment for sin is credited to the account of our lives. And we're forgiven. That's why Jesus came. Maybe you're here today and you've done that. You've put your trust in Jesus Christ. This Christmas, instead of us getting caught up in just the trimmings, As we do the trimmings, let's remember the greatest gift that's ever been provided. Let's remember that we can't put trimmings on ourselves. That he came as we celebrate so that he could die for us. But this is one thing for sure. This message of Jesus demands a response. And each and every one of us in this room will give it a response today. We either say yes 
I believe that Jesus is God who died for me and rose again. Or we'll say, no, I don't want, I don't want to put my trust in Jesus. Or some may say, I don't want to think about that right now. I don't want to do that right now. I don't want to respond. But in not responding, that person's responding, no. After the service is done, one of our leaders here at Faith Bible Church will be back in that prayer room directly behind us. We've got some little booklets back there that you can just go back and say, hey, can I have one of those books Pastor Steve was talking about? Maybe you want to take that and take out your own Bible. And in the first chapter of that, you can look up some of the verses we've even looked up today and look for yourself and see what, how the Bible teaches that Jesus is the one who makes it possible for us to have our sin forgiven. He's the only bridge to God. Or maybe you have a friend that you'd like to get that book and, and give to your friend. Just stop back after the service and one of our leaders will give you one. But this miracle birth, this virgin birth, indeed demands a response. Father, we thank you for Matthew 1. We thank you that you chose to pour out your wrath on your son. And as we celebrate Jesus' birth, we immediately are drawn to his death. Because in a very real way, Jesus came in order to die. Help us to have that in the forefront of our thinking. Father, if there's anyone here today who has been either saying no or not yet, I pray that you'd help them come to that point today where they recognize they need to put their trust in Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.